0: Welcome to the Trinity Church Aberdeen podcast, where you can listen to our most recent sermons. To find out more about who we are and what we believe, visit trinityaberdeen.org.uk David read out a chunk from chapter 10 and I'm now going to read um, from chapter 11, verse 16 to the end of the chapter. So it's Proverbs 11 verse 16. "A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself. But a cruel man hurts himself. The wicked earns deceptive wages. But one who sows righteousness gets a sure reward. Whoever is steadfast in righteousness will live. But he who pursues evil will die. Those of crooked heart are an abomination to the Lord. But those of blameless ways are his delight. Be assured, an evil person will not go unpunished but the offspring of the righteous will be delivered. Like a gold ring in a pig's snout is a beautiful woman without discretion. The desire of the righteous ends only in good, the expectation of the wicked in wrath. One gives freely but grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched and one who waters will himself be watered. The people curse him who holds back grain, but a blessing is on the head of him who sells it. Whoever diligently seeks good seeks favor, but evil comes to him who searches for it. Whoever trusts in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. Whoever troubles his own household will inherit the wind, and the fool will be servant to the wise of heart. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. If the righteous is repaid on earth, how much more the wicked and the sinner? Well, I wonder how you felt as we read through today's passage. I mean, Proverbs is a book of the Bible that um, probably feels a bit different um, to a lot of other books that we've been going through recently. I mean, recently we've had um, you know, the great stories of Second Samuel, the, the, the dramatic narratives there. we had had the, the very clear logical flow of the book of Hebrews or the book of Philippians. But reading through a big chunk of Proverbs like we've just done there can leave us feeling a little bit puzzled. There's definitely not a story there, and it can certainly seem, you know, on the surface, like there's, there's not much logic connecting each proverb to the next. And I think this is just the nature of Proverbs. It's, they're, they're supposed to be short, memorable, and standalone verses, and this godly wisdom in, in Proverbs is taught as a father speaking to his son to equip him for the world. And I think this kind of explains the sort of chaotic order we we get here. It's most likely that each one of these proverbs that we've just read out would have been told to his son over the course of years, each in its situation when it came up. So together, their their seemingly chaotic structure is is actually just a reflection of the chaotic nature that life can often have. But together, God has um, given us all these proverbs um, to form a detailed picture of how best to live in the world which he created. The world wasn't designed to be chaotic, it was created with order, with a way for things to work best. So, through these short and pithy sayings, Proverbs equips us to live in a way that works best in this created order. So, out of reverence for God, we can live how he intended. Um, and over the course of Proverbs, as, as you read through it, you'll see that there's there's many different aspects of life that are, are brought out and addressed here, in which each form these kind of distinct themes that run through the book. And so over the next four evening services, we'll be focusing on each of these. Um, rather than taking Proverbs chapter by chapter, we're gonna have a look at some of the key themes um, that come up one at one at a time. And a prominent topic that is addressed throughout the book is money, which is what we'll be focusing on today. Um, We won't be looking at everything that Proverbs has to say about money, but um, chapters 10 to 11, the the, um, verses that we read out, I think cover most of the main ideas about money that Proverbs talks about. Well, as we we think about money, I, I wonder what emotions kind of come to each of us when the topic of money comes up. I think for many of us it can be anxiety that comes. Perhaps it's actually kind of excited expectations with money. Or even for a lot of us it it might be regret that we feel when we think of money. The thought of money comes loaded with all kinds of different emotions and I think because of this we can quite often become torn when we have decisions to do with money. for example, we know it's good to give our money but we don't want to be careless We know that money is something that we need to survive, but how much is too much money? How much time and effort should we put into trying to earn money? Is it okay to desire any money at all? What should we spend our money on? We can get so caught up in all of this that we actually forget that God has a lot to say about money in his word. So let's listen carefully to him today as he speaks through these short and simple sayings to us. Throughout chapters 10 and 11, um, the father wants to ensure his son has the right attitude towards money. So we'll look a bit later on at the actions that flow out of this attitude. But first of all, we're taught how to view and think about money wisely. And he does this through a humbling reminder. And that is that money can't save you from death. Now, that may seem like quite a dramatic way to start on, on the topic of money, but I think scattered throughout these verses that we read out is that very reminder that the best way for us to view our money is in light of the fact that death faces all of us. Now, firstly, this isn't to say that money is, is pointless or a bad thing. Have a look at um, chapter 10, verse 22 in the way that it speaks of money says that the blessing of the Lord makes rich. To be given wealth and money is a blessing and a good gift from God. Not that we've we've earned it by gaining God's favour, but by His grace, God chooses to bless people with money. But that being said, um, have a look at chapter 10, verse 2. It says there that treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but righteousness delivers from death. So the first half of that verse um, is clearly condemning money that's gained by wicked ways, but notice that the the second half doesn't necessarily kind of naturally follow on how we might expect. You know, we might expect this proverb to say, treasures gained by wickedness do not profit, but treasures gained by godliness will deliver from death, but no. This condemns wicked ways of gaining money, but also points out to us that death is coming, and money gained by any means is not going to save us from that. Notice an almost identical proverb in chapter 11, verse 4 as well No riches can help you on the day of wrath. I think it's fairly ironic language that's used in both of these verses. Chapter 10 verse 2 and chapter 11 verse 4 both state that money doesn't profit, which I think is funny because when we think of the word profit, I think our first thought is to think of making money. There's a real change of perspective we get here to realize that our profits today won't really profit in the end, no matter how big they are. But what we see here is, is more than just a reminder of the temporary nature of riches. You know, This isn't merely just, just saying that you can't take your riches to the grave or that you, know, you can't spend your money when you're dead. Rather, this is actually a warning of the day of wrath and a warning that we need deliverance from that. These proverbs show us that money can't provide that deliverance. But thankfully, they also point to what can. The only thing that can deliver us from death is righteousness. A righteousness that we see revealed in the New Testament can only be gifted to us through Christ and and through faith in him. And we see through that 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 Proverbs is a book with an eternal perspective in mind. As much as it's speaking into the kind of normal day-to-day life, things like money, it looks at all of these things with an eternal perspective. And I think the reason that that that's mentioned so early is because it's so easy to get distracted by the now and the immediate. Whether we're rich or poor, have a look at chapter 10, verse 15. Here we see the rich man thinks his money is a castle. He thinks it can, it can protect him from anything. And the poor man despairs of his situation and is ruined by it. But notice the, the detail in that verse. A rich man's wealth is his strong city. The poverty of the poor is their ruin. This is describing how the situations appear when we get caught up in the now instead of the eternal He thinks his money is a castle. They think their poverty is their ruin, but God views something else as more important. Death is coming, and money can't save us from that. Riches may provide a a temporary security. They can make us feel more comfortable. They can make our lives easier or, or protect us from many of life's challenges. But this can actually all just distract us from our biggest need. And I think this is a pattern that we we see so clearly in the West. The wealth that we have here can bring complacency. It can cause people to think that they don't need God. And perhaps that might even be you today. You know, life's generally quite comfortable, not perfect by any means. But, you know, you're happy with how things are going. Things seem to be going well. Future prospects seem to look good. Money and life's comforts can make us feel secure. But are you prepared for when these things come to an end? Have you thought about what it looks like to be prepared for death? It's, it's a huge question, obviously, but it's one that's vital to consider. And it's a question whose answer forms the core of what we believe as Christians. But for Christians, there's an important reminder in here for us as well. The offer that Christ has given us of a righteousness that can deliver from death is the best and most important thing that could ever be offered to us. But despite this, we can easily get distracted. Our lives can become those that prioritize our finances over Christ. Are we today letting our financial situation distract us from what's most important? In the words of chapter 11, verse 18, are we being deceived by our wages to think that that's the most important thing in life? In our attitude towards money, Proverbs wants us to remember that money can't save us from death. And it's with this attitude towards money that Proverbs then goes on to shape our actions with money. Specifically, how we earn and use money. And our passage seems to deal with each of these separately. So first, how are we supposed to approach how we earn money? Well, we're to work wisely. Chapter 10, verses 4 to 5, emphasizes the importance of working diligently and thoughtfully. Slack hands lead to poverty, whilst a diligent hand makes rich as we see in verse four. Hard work is the means which God has given us to earn the money that he blesses us with. Working has been part of God's plan since all the way back in creation. Adam was told to work the land of the Garden of Eden. And even though the the fall has now made work hard and painful, it's always been part of our purpose to be occupied with work. I think we can often be especially aware of this when we're actually unable to work. You know, whether it's kind of a, a short spell of illness that we've had. Maybe it was furlough a, a few years back. Or maybe it's that your circumstances actually prevent you from working at all. It can leave us feeling, feeling like we're lacking something. We know that work is part of our purpose. And realizing this, Realizing this frees us um, from seeing work as merely a burden. I've actually heard some Christians say that they've become bitter with their work, at the way that it, it holds them back from certain church activities or, or being able to, to read or study the Bible as much as they'd like to. And of course, you know, we, we shouldn't work to the point that it completely prevents our involvement in church or or studying the Bible. Our faith and worship with Christ's people should be a priority. But we can also glorify God through working hard. Whether that's a full-time job, taking care of a household, or, or studying at school or university. And I think Martin Luther quite nicely summarizes God's high view of hard work when he said, the Christian shoemaker does his duty not by putting little crosses on the shoes, but by making good shoes, because God is interested in good craftsmanship. Well, perhaps this has now made you think that God is some kind of tough boss, creating us just for hard labor. But that's far from the whole picture that we get of God in this passage. Look again at chapter 10, verse 22, that we had a look at earlier. Riches are a blessing, and God adds no sorrow with it. God expects us to work hard for what we earn, but not to the point of sorrow. He wants us to work hard, but he doesn't want painful, strenuous labor. And sadly, sadly this isn't the reality in a fallen world. Life can land us in all kinds of situations where our work leads to countless sorrow and and we've just not got any other option there. But for others, um, our strenuous labor may be revealing unwise attitudes towards our work. Have a look back to chapter 10, verse 3. The two halves of this proverb, I think, challenge each challenge an unhelpful view of earning by pointing us again to an eternal perspective on money. The first half, the Lord does not let the righteous go hungry. Perhaps we're working too much out of a lack of trust of how God will provide for us. We need to live with a trust that God will provide what we need, knowing that even if we're left hungry or without money, that God has promised to provide for us ultimately when he returns. And the second half of verse three, he thwarts the craving of the wicked. It reminds us of the vanity of endlessly pursuing wealth. Perhaps our work is bringing us sorrow because of our own selfish ambition. We're driving ourselves too hard out of a desire to succeed. But God thwarts the craving of the wicked. When we die, God's judgment will wipe away all the material things that we've worked for. They serve a purpose now, but this is a strong warning against living a life that's only aim is to earn money. A right understanding of God's character, an understanding of his loving provision, and his temporary view of belongings shown in these Proverbs is an assuring reminder to us that we shouldn't feel like we need to burden ourselves with painful labor. God's ideal design for the world isn't constant hard labor, work, sleep, repeat. But it's also not purposeless laziness. God gives us a daily purpose that work provides, but he also doesn't want us to have painful hard labor. And I think this is an approach that should shape how we um, approach our our role in the church as well, in our our efforts to share the gospel or encourage other Christians. I think it can be easy to either um, become slack and lazy or to go the other way and completely overburden ourselves. I think our our lives should aim to reflect the godly balance that we see um, in these verses We're to work hard knowing that Christ has chosen to use us in the church for his purposes, but we need to realize that Christ is the head. He's perfectly secured the future victory for the church, so we can trust that, knowing that we don't have to burden ourselves with overwork. And we can also hold on to these truths as a great picture of of that victory that is to come. For many of us, as as we've been reading through this, we might have been thinking that it's actually quite hard to match our current experience with these ideals that have been set forth. Maybe uh, we have an overly cruel boss, or, or maybe just our circumstances make work extremely difficult. Maybe we just despair to see lazy or unethical colleagues that seem to get rewarded for what they do whilst your work goes completely unrecognized. When God's perfect design for the world is restored, there'll be no more painful toil, no more laziness. We'll all play our parts joyfully in um, all for God's glory. Proverbs shows the importance of working wisely. But as well as shaping um, the way that we seek to earn money, our passage also has a lot to say about how we're to use our money. Um, we'll look now at the way that the proverbs teach us to give generously. Um, so turn over now and have a look at um, chapter eleven, verse twenty-four. It says there that the one who gives freely grows all the richer, and he who holds back all his wealth only suffers want. Now the phrase that's used there, "giving freely," is it suggests a kind of carefree scattering. It's talking about a generous and carefree sharing of our money to those that are in need. This proverb is teaching that giving is the true source of gaining, and hoarding our money is just going to lead to misery. And I think our actions can often reflect a real lack of belief that this really is the case. I mean, in some ways, it kind of seems counterintuitive. How can gain come from giving away? It can be a rather mysterious concept that's spoken of here, but even if we can't understand the exact workings of this, it's it's here in God's word. So we must trust this to be true, and there are many examples that we can look around of this being the case. But it's important that we um, make sure that we realize that As with many of the Proverbs, this is a a general concept rather than an exact rule. In a a fallen world, this won't always be the case. We need to be careful um, not to take away from what we've just read, that we just need to start giving more and then suddenly we'll get lots back and we'll we'll be rich. This, This has led to so much harm in the church through the teaching of the prosperity gospel. But a key principle to take away here is that giving generously will will lead to far more contentment than just hoarding money for ourselves. We're not going to lose out by being more generous. Stinginess is exposed here for its pointlessness, for its ugliness. You know, we see that people people keep them, their wealth to themselves so that they can somehow gain more for themselves. But verse 24 has shown us that it doesn't even achieve what it set out to do. And we also see in these verses that it's, it's obvious to others around us when we're holding back our money. Have a look at um, 11 verse 26, just a couple verses after. It describes a stingy character who's holding back Israel's staple crop of grain. And instead of selling it freely at a normal price, He's holding it back to drive the price up. But look at the result that that comes from that. The people curse him. They're crying out that the result of verse 24 would truly be the case. And I think this can all act as a real challenge for our own lives as well as we read through this. Are we holding back our money out of selfish intentions? Do we really trust that giving is more beneficial than keeping wealth to ourselves? I think sometimes in our giving, we we can be fearful or or even reluctant that we may lose out after we've done it. This will take wisdom for um, each of us to consider, I think especially in the current cost of living crisis. I think there's a difference here between being stingy and not actually having enough to give. But let's trust that what's said in verse 24 is true, and we see a complete trust in this in Christ's life, not just in the way that he um, denied himself material wealth, but also in being generous in his ministry. Christ showed this trust to the point where he gave himself to die on a cross for our sake. He trusted that even that would lead to more good. And we see this fulfilled as he was raised up and glorified. It's the ultimate epitome of this wonderful principle that we read of here. He knew the temporiness of money. He knew and trusted that God would ultimately provide all that he needed, even to the point of death. And I think as church, we we need to make sure that we're trusting um, the pattern that God declares and displays in Christ um, and that we're actually living this out for ourselves as well. Verse 25 shows the way that we can live this out in all aspects of life, not just with our money just as Christ showed us in his life. um, We see there that the phrase, whoever brings blessing, and I I think this applies to a kind of wider form of of generosity beyond just our wealth. Whether it's giving our our time, whether it's encouraging others, showing hospitality, or, or even just praying for those who need it. Verse 25 shows that ultimately this will serve to enrich us. And it's illustrated in the second half of the verse. The farmer who waters his crops will himself be watered. As we seek to give ourselves to others, to build them up, God promises to build us up through that. It shows that we can give without worry, whether it's our money, whether it's our time, our energy. The pattern that God has put into creation is that giving to others ultimately serves for good. Proverbs teaches us that to live wisely for God is to give generously. Now as we um, come towards the end, I'd like you to turn towards um, 11 verse 28. Here it states with complete confidence that those who have put their trust in money will fall In today's passage, we've been reminded of the futility of money and death. We've seen the way that God has designed us to work and share the money that we work for. But here we get an absolute. For those who put their trust in money, those who work and work for their own gain, who hoard their riches for their own benefit, these people will fall. And I think to understand this, we we need to look beyond this life. We need to have that eternal perspective again. As 11 verse 16 says, many of the wicked and the evil in the world will just keep getting richer. The reality of a fallen world is that sometimes those who put their trust in riches actually don't seem to fall. But let's keep our eyes set out on eternity. We're to work hard for money. We're to enjoy and generously spend the money that we've been gifted. But we must never have a trust in our money instead of Christ. In fact, anyone with their trust in anything except the Lord Jesus Christ will fall on that final day. And for God's people, those who have trusted him, there will be ultimate flourishing. As we see at the end. Of 11, verse 28, the righteous will flourish like a green leaf. All the patterns of work and life that we've seen described throughout these two chapters will find their complete and ultimate and perfect fulfillment in the new creation. It's here that God's original pattern and purposes of creation will be perfectly restored. We must trust that. We must trust in God, not our wealth, because only he can deliver us from death and bring us to this perfectly restored world. Amen.